the anxious wait in America. I voted by mail. Everybody I Everyone know I voted by mail. voted by mail. Counting the last ballots, putting Joe Biden on the verge of victory. New COVID cases shatter the daily record. Our studio is really safe. We take it really seriously. Fitness centers worry a new round of closures is next. And a whole bunch of Canadians angry at Whole Foods. I think it's horrible. Absolutely disgusting. The backlash that forced the grocery giant to abandon its anti-poppy policy. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We will get to the latest developments in the U.S. presidential election in just a moment. But we begin tonight with some grim news about the COVID-19 situation in this province. Yes, B.C. has smashed yesterday's record high of daily cases by a large margin. We have 589 new cases today. That brings our total to 17,149. Sadly, we have two more deaths to report tonight. 104 people are now in hospital. That's up seven. And 28 people are in the ICU. That's an increase of four. We haven't seen hospital or ICU numbers this high since April. We have 3,741 active cases in our province, which is also a record high. Close to 8,000 British Columbians are now in self-isolation. All right, we'll bring in Keith Baldry again now. Uh, Keith, that is a stunning daily number, of course, for a lot of people. And Likely the reason Dr. Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix have a rare Saturday briefing planned. Yeah, absolutely jaw-dropping number. We're closing in on 600 cases a day. Back, I can remember, 100 cases was a big deal. I talked to Adrian Dix today. Yes, they're very concerned with the numbers they're seeing in recent days. I think a lot of these can be traced back to Halloween because we are in that five-day period where the virus starts to show up with symptoms. Uh, And there's been talk about regional restrictions or perhaps what Dr. Henry may be talking tomorrow. One region in particular, and we've been stressing this over and over again, stands out when it comes to COVID numbers. Take a look at this. This is how these 600 or near 600 cases, 599 cases break down today. 402, or 68%, are in Fraser Health. Uh, 25% in Vancouver Coastal. And then the virus really isn't uh, noticeable in other areas of the province. Fraser Health continues to be the epicenter of our pandemic. And those numbers have been holding steady around 66, 68, 70, 75% of the cases in Fraser Health. So all eyes on Dr. Henry and Adrian Dix tomorrow for this unusual uh, 1 o'clock briefing. We'll be carrying that live on BC1. A lot of people are anticipating we're going to see more restrictions as a result of this huge spike in COVID numbers we've seen since Halloween. All right, we'll wait to see what they say. Thanks very much, Keith. Now to the still unresolved U.S. election. The vote counting continues in five key battleground states to decide who will occupy the White House. Growing leads in Nevada, Georgia, and Pennsylvania are pointing to the near inevitability of a Joe Biden victory with a lot of ballots still to be counted. Aaron MacArthur has the latest. Friday morning began much as Thursday night ended. The race for the White House too close to call, except the razor-thin margin flipped towards the Democrats. I voted by mail. Everybody I Everyone know I voted by mail. voted by mail. Counts in Pennsylvania inched towards a Biden win. And in Georgia, the differential so small... All the votes likely counted again. Of approximately 5 million votes cast, we'll have a margin of a few thousand. As the day progressed, the numbers continued to pile up for the Democrats, but the Republicans are refusing to give up. 
spurred on by baseless claims from Donald Trump, supporters are claiming fraud. We're going to expose them. Lock them up. Legal teams sowing the seeds of doubt in the results. Any irregularities that have occurred, whether by malicious intent or incompetence, are fully investigated. The president's allegations of large-scale fraud and theft of the election are just not substantiated. The race hasn't been called, and there is no concession coming from the Trump campaign. But in the Biden-Harris camp, the mood is optimistic, and the focus is on a transition to power. Critics are calling on the president to do the right thing. I think what the president needs to do is, frankly, put his big boy pants on. He needs to acknowledge the fact that he lost, and he needs to congratulate the winner. If the race does get called, it's still not over. Ballots are being counted and challenged. And with lawsuits pending, the question becomes, to what length could the Trump administration go to hold on to power? Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And as we just heard from Aaron, the Trump campaign has launched lawsuits in several states to try to stop vote counting and invalidate ballots yet to be counted. Reggie, a lot of reaction to this came in today. Reggie is uh, with us today in Washington, D.C. What was the reaction? Well, Chris, good evening. Look, the president is attempting to litigate as much as he can, understanding the reality that is approaching the front door of the building just a couple of hundred meters uh, away from me right now, that the math is not adding up in his favor, uh, and they are trying to slow the process using litigation tactics. They have won in one case. The Supreme Court is actively going to uh, look at a case tomorrow. They have put a pause on the count of the mailed-in ballots in Pennsylvania that came in after 8 o'clock on Election Day. Those have to be segregated, put to the side, They may not be able to count towards the totals in Pennsylvania. This is a win for the Trump campaign. But they've had lawsuits thrown out in Michigan. They've had lawsuits thrown out in Georgia. Democrats are pushing back on this. Even some Republicans are pushing back on the president's inability to cope with the fact that this may simply be the end of his presidency. Uh, And with a race that still has yet to be called, but moving towards Joe Biden, uh, we're waiting to hear what both of these men have to say. And is there any indication whether the legal action or the attempted legal action could affect the transfer of power if there is one? Well, look, the president is simply dragging this out, uh, and he is the one who ultimately is going to make it more difficult for whatever president-elect, when the president-elect comes in, if Joe Biden is elected, uh, to get the work done to try to deal with a lame-duck Congress, to try to deal with a lame-duck president before he takes power after the inauguration. And there are key things that need to be done when it comes to figuring out legislative plans to go forward. Not having the time to do that can become problematic. The Senate Majority Leader says that there will be a peaceful transfer of power. Former aides to the president say they're recommending a peaceful transfer of power. But again, this is simply going to be left up to Donald Trump. So much uh, left to figure out. We appreciate it, Reggie. Reggie Cicchini in Washington, D.C. tonight. And as it drags on, unrest grows in some parts of the U.S. Major cities like Detroit, Phoenix and Portland are seeing protests, political or not. Let's bring in our Sarah McDonald, who has been in Portland, Oregon for the last week or so. What's happening there tonight, uh, Sarah? 
Yeah, Sophie, good to see you. It's quiet right now on the streets for the past couple of nights. We have seen rioting and destruction here in the streets of Portland and other cities right across the United States. As you mentioned, the big question as we all remain in this state of limbo is who will be the next president of the United States? That is what so many Americans and so many Canadians are also asking. Uh, tonight, as Reggie mentioned, things are looking good for the Joe Biden campaign. We are expecting him to speak at some point tonight that we don't know exactly when, though his path to the presidency is looking somewhat solidified and positive uh, at this point. Uh, we spoke with some Americans on the ground today here in Portland and surrounding areas just to get their take on what the projected Joe Biden presidency could look like and could mean to them and what an exit and a transition from the Donald Trump administration would mean to them. Take a listen. I think that Biden and Senator Harris are the right people to lead us into uh, healing. I have hope with Biden. I have no hope with Trump. I think there's things that we can do and things that we need to need to change. And I think Biden is the person to do that. If it goes to the other side, um, fine, let's move on. But um, if it does, you'll probably see a lot of change where they're like, OK, we're cracking down. None of this is going to happen. And now we we fixed it. So it's you can see it all coming if you really watch for it. We need to reset because, you know, the hate's toxic and it's just getting worse and worse. Those last two men you just heard from are both Trump supporters that we spoke with. We should note that the vast majority of people we have spoken with and met on the ground here in Oregon in the past week or so have all been like that. They're relatively centrist and middle ground and on both sides of the fray, Democratic and Republican. Most of the people we've spoken to have said, you know, we just want to find some middle ground here. We don't want this divisiveness. We don't want this polarity that is running through the country right now. Uh, a lot of the Republicans and the Democrats that we spoke with, of course, they're voting for different presidents, but a lot of them seem to have a lot in common, uh, even when it came to policy and economics and human rights as well. So interesting to mention that a lot of people just said we want to get back to some sort of common ground and peace here. The question is, will that happen? Of course, a lot of Republicans are looking to President Donald Trump for guidance right now. He's certainly not helping when it comes to uh, ensuring calm across the country at this point. And we do expect, as I mentioned, uh, former Vice President Joe Biden to speak at some point tonight. So we'll see what comes from that, guys. Somewhat refreshing to hear those kinds of comments from the folks he spoke to, Sarah. Mm -hmm. Thanks for that. Sarah McDonald in Portland, Oregon for us. And as we wait for those results in the U.S. election, let's not forget Elections B.C. has started counting the more than 600,000 absentee and mail-in ballots here. And with fewer than 1,000 votes separating 16 ridings, these remaining ballots could cause quite the shakeup. Among the ridings to watch, Abbotsford Mission, one of the closest in the province, Vernon Monashi, where a three-term liberal MLA is hanging on to his seat by a thread. Chilliwack, Kent, Laurie Thronas, closely behind the NDP candidate there. He was forced to resign from the B.C. Liberal Party over the controversial comments he made, but early votes may be in his favor. Abbotsford police are warning drug users in their community about a batch of extremely toxic drugs. The APD says their officers and street workers are seeing a major uptick in the number of overdoses and the toxicity level of the street drugs has increased by nearly four times. The force is appealing to people not to use drugs alone and if they are going to use... Please visit one of the of Abbotsford's overdose prevention sites. Just yesterday, Victoria police announced they had seized a kilogram of fentanyl so pure it could have produced nearly a half million potentially deadly doses. Two disturbing attacks targeting women of East Asian dis, uh, descent are being investigated. VPD has uh, or is saying that they are possible hate crimes. 
The first assault happened on Wednesday around 4.30 in the afternoon on Granville Street near Helmkin. An unknown man approached a woman and punched her in the nose. She fell to the ground and then got up, got to a safe place and called police. On Thursday, a woman was walking to an Evo vehicle near West Georgia Street and Citadel Parade near the viaduct when a man walked by and spat on her. What concerns us most about these files is how completely unprovoked they both were. Evidence indicates that the victim and the suspect have no relation to each other. Our hate crimes unit is engaged and they will be assisting on the file. Right now, because the investigation is in its early stages, we're not ruling out any motives, and that includes any motives of hate, uh, bias, or prejudice. Police are asking any witnesses to these two attacks or anyone with information to call 911 or Crime Stoppers. Police want to speak with a driver who may have key information in a triple homicide. On Sunday, three bodies were found near the Melrose Forest Service Road in rural Qualicum Beach. One other person was taken from the scene as well in critical condition. The Vancouver Island Integrated Major Crime Unit now says the driver of a light-colored sedan may have picked up two people along Highway 19 near the scene on Saturday night or early or Sunday morning. Investigators say they need to speak with that driver. Police are also appealing to quarters, dirt bikers and 4x4 enthusiasts who may have been in the area over the weekend to contact them if they have any GoPro or helmet footage. Anyone with information is asked to call the major crime unit at the number on your screen. More dramatic testimony today at the Cullen Commission on how money laundering in B.C. casinos ran essentially unchecked. As John Waugh reports, the first head of the RCMP's illegal gaming team outlined why he found it difficult to investigate suspicious activity in legal casinos. As the River Rock Casino opened in 2004, marking the beginning of a gambling boom in British Columbia, the RCMP's Integrated Legal Gaming Enforcement Team, or IGET, was being formed. Was it your understanding that the mandate of IGET included uh, the investigation of illegal activity in legal casinos? Yes. But the first commander of the unit, Tom Robertson, told the Cullen Commission at the start, investigations into casino money laundering were more than IGET could handle. It would tie up a number of resources for a longer period of time than an offence such as uh, a coffee shop that had some illegal video lottery terminals. So Robertson said he decided the 12-person team should start small. My thought was to work on smaller projects that took a couple of days to a week. Robertson said another concern was an expectation for early success. My belief is that the consultative board wanted to, to see some results. The one time Robertson recalls I get responding to a legal casino was after reports by River Rock staff about a suspected loan shark. The unit's arrival seemed to quote, ruffle feathers. There was some pushback as far as our getting involved. Robertson also noted a gaming policy and enforcement branch manager argued IGET was out of line by being at legal casinos. That is my understanding, is that he didn't uh, feel that was within the IGET mandate. Robert told the commission casinos were always in his mandate. It just wasn't the main priority. He would leave command of IGET to Fred Pinnock after one year. I recall telling uh, Fred that I believe the consultative board and the experience of the investigators 
It was better that he focused the unit on short-term projects. But Pinnock's command of iGet started big, with an investigation of an internet gaming site which took up all of its resources. And then despite his understanding it was outside the unit's mandate, a proposal to target criminal activity in licensed casinos. Public safety was uh, not a priority of my uh, uh, superiors with respect to gaming, in my opinion. Soon after, BC's first illegal gaming task force would be ruled as ineffective. IGET was disbanded in 2009. John Hua, Global News. The first round of public consultation has heard overwhelming support for a gondola on Burnaby Mountain, although the project is still a long way from shovels in the ground. TransLink says it collected about 13,000 responses to its proposal for a cable car system from the SkyTrain Millennium Line to Simon Fraser University, with 85% of respondents supporting the idea. The biggest benefits cited, safety and security all-weather service, speed, and environmental benefits. TransLink will hold a second round of public feedback on three proposed routes. Now, an actual gondola is still years away, as I mentioned. The project isn't approved or funded yet, and there is no cost estimate. Whole Foods fights off a poppy scandal. The U.S.-based grocer might have had the best intentions with its new uniform policy, but it sure made a lot of Canadians mad. The poppy pivot that followed in just over a minute. Fascinating dive into U.S. vote counting and why the fraud alleged by Donald Trump is nearly impossible. That's later on the news hour. And with a change in U.S. administration likely, why this letter from President George H.W. Bush to his replacement, Bill Clinton, is getting a lot of attention right now. But first... U.S.-based grocery chain Whole Foods pulled itself out of a PR catastrophe here in Canada after telling its employees that they were not allowed to wear a poppy in the days leading up to and on Remembrance Day. As Jordan Armstrong reports tonight, the policy enraged Canadians and even B.C.'s Premier and the Prime Minister weighed in before the company eventually reversed course. Holy controversy! Whole Foods managed to unite a whole country in condemning its employee poppy policy. It's reprehensible. I'm, I'm just uh, absolutely shocked. Whole Foods has made a, a silly mistake uh, that I am uh, hoping they will correct. All those opposed to the motion being adopted, please say nay. Quickly and unanimously, the grocery chain was denounced by MPs in Ottawa. And demand that the policy be reversed immediately. And by customers in Vancouver. I think it's horrible. Absolutely disgusting. Like, I've really thought about twice even going in today. The ban on Whole Foods workers wearing the symbol of remembrance infuriated folks at the Vancouver Poppy Fund at a time when donations are already down. I looked at it, I said, well, it is an American company. They may not understand what a poppy is or what it means. Indeed, Whole Foods is now owned by the richest man on earth, Amazon billionaire Jeff Bezos. But a few of its B.C. stores started out as locally run Capers Markets, and its co-founder was not impressed. Decisions are often made thousands of miles away in windowless buildings without any any sort of um, attention to what's going on locally. And that's what Whole Foods became, unfortunately. At first, Whole Foods doubled down, but at noon Friday, it backed down and sent us a statement from World Headquarters in Texas. Quote, we appreciate the thoughtful feedback we have received from customers. Given the learnings of today, we are welcoming team members to wear the poppy pin in honor of Remembrance Day. Good thought. 
good move. <laughs> Somebody did get a brain. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Well, organizers of a COVID-friendly Remembrance Day memorial in the Okanagan are forging ahead despite a cowardly act of vandalism. Sometime between late Wednesday night and early Thursday morning, around 100 Canadian flags attached to crosses were either torn or damaged at Kelowna's City Park. The annual Field of Crosses display honours fallen soldiers who served Canada in both world wars, the Korean and Afghanistan wars, and peacekeeping missions. We were very disappointed to find when we came the other morning that uh, some of the uh, flags from the crosses had been removed and had been uh, ripped up and thrown on the ground. Extreme disappointment, you know, the fact that people were being disrespectful. We don't know if it was one person, we don't know who it was. As you can see, they've all been replaced and we've moved forward. The local Rotary Club quickly moved in to fix the pandemic-friendly memorial, restoring the field of crosses to its original condition. Well, like many other charitable organizations this year, the Royal Canadian Legion is facing uncertain times as we head toward Remembrance Day. As Linda Ellsworth reports, with both ceremonies and its poppy campaign dramatically scaled back this year, the Legion is relying on people to step up and fill the void. Finding one of these is a little trickier this year. COVID-19 has complicated the annual poppy campaign. The Army cadets and, and Air cadets and Sea cadets are banned from tagging, and it's, that's where we lose a bit. Now it's up to Legion volunteers setting up tables in a reduced number of malls to get the poppies out and the donations in. And when you do find a poppy, you'll have to pin it on yourself. And it's kind of sad that we, we can't really do it because a lot of people like to having the poppy pinned on them rather than having to put their own poppy on. Combine the lack of taggers with a ban on gatherings at Cenotaphs on Remembrance Day and you have even more lost opportunities. We normally have scouts down there and they're mingling with the crowd and they usually pick up between five and seven thousand dollars in that hour, hour and a half they're down there and we know we're not going to get that this year. In fact, revenue could be down 20 to 50 percent. Having said that, many Canadians are doing their best to make up for the loss. I think because of COVID, people are being very generous this year. They're thinking about it more. Other ways to give, the traditional poppy trays are still in many businesses. And HSBC has gone touchless with a pay tribute version in several of its branches. You can also create a virtual poppy that honours a veteran online at mypoppy.ca. More ways to give online are on the BC Yukon Legion website. The people are stepping up. They, they know what's going on and they understand what the money is for. We have vets that are on the street and we're supplying them with food and in some cases housing. Why should you care? They fought other spot for this freedom. I didn't. I was here, but others did. <laughs> Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Up ahead, fears in the fitness industry, how gym operators feel about being singled out by Dr. Henry and their chances of survival with another shutdown. But first, the ski pass scramble. Thousands log in and it goes downhill from there. 
Extra busy on all the major routes this evening, and the Ironworkers Memorial is no different. Every available route off the North Shore towards the Ironworkers is jammed with extra traffic after clearing two earlier problems. On Highway 1, on the Upper Levels Highway, it's backed up into West Vancouver. In celebration of Set for Life, Scratch and Win's 20th anniversary, every ticket is getting a second chance to win. Visit setforlife.ca for details, 19 plus to play. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above the Ironworkers Memorial Bridge. Pass holders for Whistler Blackcomb got a rude welcome to the new normal today. Under COVID safe rules this season, skiers have to reserve their times. The resort opened its website this morning to give pass holders a chance to reserve, and it quickly turned into a huge online traffic jam. Some pass holders in the queue told us there were more than 100,000 people ahead of them. Many pass holders spent hours online trying to reserve their spots. Indoor cycling gym owners and clients are pedaling hard to keep up with all the confusion today, a day after the province's top doctor warned that spin classes are dangerous right now. One BC spin studio has seen a COVID exposure event, and although there are no formal restrictions in place, as Richard Zussman reports, that could change. It's been a constant cycle, class clean repeat. It's one of the many new measures Spin Method has put in place to help prevent the spread of COVID-19. Our goal is to keep our clients safe, keep our staff safe. But now there's worry in the industry because of these comments from Dr. Bonnie Henry on Thursday. Right now, spin classes in, the, in Metro Vancouver are dangerous. We should not be doing those things. There's been one event in a BC spin studio leading to 30 cases of COVID. But owners are confused because the province hasn't announced any formal restrictions and is painting all studios with the same brush. We fall into that spin studio category, but we're not a spin studio. We're, uh, we're a very professional cycling space. Um, we, take, uh, we take our cycling and our workouts very seriously. With an actual order to close, owners can't access COVID relief, and clients are confused about whether they should show up. Labeling spin classes as dangerous had an immediate effect on our business. I mean, instantly got emails. The province also labeling dance classes as risky, but the harshest words aimed at spin studios. I felt like it was irresponsible, a little bit reckless and really unsubstantiated. The province could still put in additional measures to close these types of businesses, potentially by region or province-wide. But these owners are confident their behavior is not leading to COVID cases spinning out of control. Richard Zospin, Global News, Victoria. integrity of this vote is really unparalleled. How the system works to provide security despite what Donald... Major route that's finally starting to ease off a little bit after a very busy afternoon commute. It's the Burnaby Lake stretch east and westbound on Highway 1. Sussex Insurance has auto plan offices inside Walmart and Real Canadian Superstores throughout BC. For hours and locations, visit sussexinsurance.com, open every day. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above the Burnaby Lake stretch in Global One. As the world awaits word on the final results of the U.S. presidential election and on what Donald Trump might do if Joe Biden wins, a lesson on grace in political defeat is making the rounds on social media. When Bill Clinton first entered the White House in January of 1993, he found a letter from the man he had beaten, George H.W. Bush. In that letter, the first President Bush gives Clinton encouragement in what will be tough times and tells him he'll be rooting hard for his success. He signs it simply, good luck, George. Clinton later called that letter total class.
It's a question people across the world have been asking since Tuesday night. How long will it take to tally all of those remaining votes? Tom Costello shows us why it's taking so long. There are two reasons why the counting has taken so long. The first is the pandemic, which led to an unprecedented number of voters choosing to mail in their ballots. The second is simply an overwhelming number of total ballots that need to be counted. Under state law, Pennsylvania could not start counting votes until Election Day, even though it was swamped with early votes. In Nevada, all ballots received by next Tuesday will be counted by next Thursday. Some states still counting ballots from service members and Americans living abroad. And provisional ballots used when an original ballot is damaged or the voter's identity needs to be confirmed. Governors and secretaries of state from across the country, Democrats and Republicans, say the election has been remarkably smooth. Very few technical glitches or verified cases of fraud. We had a, a smooth, smooth election. The way Florida did it. Uh, I think inspires confidence. I think that's how elections should be run. The strength of the integrity of this vote is really unparalleled. And we are dedicated to making sure the work is done. Because elections are conducted by 50 individual states, it's very difficult to engage in widespread fraud. Former Republican Homeland Security Secretary Michael Chertoff. It is completely unfounded and inappropriate for a president to make unsupported false claims about fraud which do nothing more than undermine confidence in our country and in our democracy and our constitution. All right, back to BC's election results with 12 ridings still waiting to hear who will be their MLA. Elections BC is now counting all those absentee and mail-in ballots, and already we're seeing some big leads in several ridings. We do have a new lead in Abbotsford Mission. NDP candidate Pam Alexis taking over the top spot from the Liberal incumbent Simon Gibson. Langley East is also among the others, widening the gap between the NDP and Liberals. Uh, the NDP's Megan Dykeman uh, in front there. There, the riding of Surrey White Rock with the Liberals gaining there and the NDP's Brenda Bailey is getting stronger over Sam Sullivan in Vancouver Falls Creek. That said, there are still thousands of ballots to count, so it is too early to project a winner in any of those ridings. A major setback for the makers of a drug some thought would be the answer to Alzheimer's disease in tonight's Health Matters. An FDA advisory committee reviewed trial data for the drug known as aducanumab, developed by Massachusetts-based Biogen. In an 8-2 vote, they concluded there's not enough evidence to show the drug works to slow the onset of Alzheimer's, and so the panel will not recommend the FDA approve it. Clinical trials of the drug were discontinued last year after disappointing results, but several months later... A new analysis of the research showed the drug significantly slowed cognitive decline in the early stages of the disease. The FDA will make its ruling in March. Still ahead, a troubled life turns to gold. I went out there, found my first piece of gold, and from there I was addicted. How a young man on Vancouver Island turned his hobby into treasure. Also tonight, a smashing edition of Satellite Debris. Take a moment to reflect. BC remembers from Vancouver's Victory Square Cenotaph, Wednesday, November 11th, from 10.30 a.m. In partnership with the Royal Canadian Legion, wear a poppy to remember. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. 
All right, heading into a pretty nice looking but maybe chilly weekend. Christy? That's right. Now, a little bit of a bundle up is needed this weekend, but that's about it. Get out there and enjoy it. This is a shot from Penticton. Vance was out there this morning for a mountain bike ride. You can do that as well. Go check out the fall colors this weekend. Should be spectacular. And I thought I would show you some of them from Van Dusen Gardens, Norman Orr, Dan from South Surrey. Look at, ah, so stunning, the colors. Colette sending us this one from Fort Langley and just a single leaf there on the beach uh, in Boundary Bay. All right. So thank you to everyone who shares the photo of all the fall colors. I can't get enough of it. Uh, mainly we're going to see clear skies overnight. Still a chance of flurries in that southeastern corner, but there is a bit of a feature that's going to drop down uh, from the north tomorrow morning. So this is at 7 a.m. tomorrow morning. Slight chance of a few flurries in the uh, McBride, Valemont area extending over into the Caribou. So tomorrow morning here, and then it shifts to the south in the afternoon. So a few isolated flurries. We're not talking about a lot. A couple of centimeters and that's about it. And you'll certainly see some sunshine in the mix, but be aware of that. That's later in the day, and then it clears out uh, Saturday evening, and you've got lots of sunshine in store for you on Sunday, and that's the case for Metro Vancouver also. So there's the flurries, Fort St. John through the central interior, otherwise mainly sunny. Increasing cloud here with the flurries in through these eastern sections, Columbia, Kootenai region especially. For our region, we may see a bit of cloud cover in the morning, otherwise sunshine in the afternoon, but highs will only reach about 8 degrees, and that's below seasonal for this time of year. So a little on the cool side, I just want to point out, yes, that's a flurry there, Monday night into Tuesday. Slight chance of a few flurries. It's just a heads up right now. We're still days away, so keep tuning back in. In the meantime, enjoy your weekend. And here's one last look at the beautiful fall colors with the bald eagle. It was very windy down by the water today. So thank you to Doug for that one. Beautiful. Right. Thanks very much, Christy. A Vancouver Island man is hitting the jackpot in his pursuit of buried treasure. Pioneer Polly's gold panning adventures are now seen around the globe. And as Kylie Stanton reports, it took some deep personal struggles for him to unearth his passion for prospecting. So you want to stratify it. Separating the materials, the heavy from the light. And then you want to take just the top layer off. Letting the water do the work. Then you fill it back up. Trying to get to the bottom of it. Start the process again. A quiet, repetitive motion that every so often reveals a thing of beauty. Hopefully gold, but sometimes, and most likely, a lot of garbage and nails. <laughs> Paul LaRouche knows a thing or two about that heavy material. I had a severe uh, panic disorder, and I was so stuck and depressed. He spent years battling these demons until an invite to the river changed everything. My cousin invited me out to go look for some gold to try to get away and I went out there found my first piece of gold and from there I was addicted. LaRouche kept coming back day after day and soon he wasn't the only one falling in love with what he was doing. Good morning or good afternoon everyone. Welcome if you're new here. My name is Polly. Today we're along this beautiful river. I decided to film myself on YouTube because I just wanted to share that experience. In a few short years, Pioneer Polly's channel has grown to more than 222,000 subscribers. I'm going to cry! Before I freak out, I'm going to clean out this hole. His team of videographers now producing regular content for fans worldwide. That's a pretty decent amount of gold. Many of whom are taking comfort in LaRouche's journey. I'm getting emails where people are saying they're following me because they either can't get to the places where I can go or they have a mental or physical disability, which I can completely relate to. It makes me feel like 
I'm giving everybody else a second chance because now they can live vicariously through me. The attention and interest is what keeps him going. So now that we're set up, I want to see how many pans we can pan before I get too cold. The possibility of a big find. It's my biggest nugget so far and now I want to find bigger. <laughs> well, that can't really be put into words. The cure to gold fever is really just to keep finding gold. And as it turns out for LaRouche... With the time spent here, peeling back the layers, exposing something beautiful, he's also found himself. Kind of bring yourself down to the moment where you're just alone at the river, listening to nature and nothing on your mind. It's, it's, it's amazing. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Souk. Stay gold. <laughs> That's right. All the glitters. Mm. All right, Squire, what's coming up in sports? Going to say the great junior hockey coach, Punch McLean. Pan for a lot of That's gold right. over yeah. his time. Yeah, remember he went missing there when he was panning for gold a few years ago, and he showed up again because he's like incredibly tough. Uh, we'll talk about the Whitecaps' bizarro season and uh, still injuries with the Seahawks' running backs. Going to have to go again with some uh, backups this week. All right, Squire. We'll talk to you on the other side of this break. Also coming up, satellite debris. Sometimes the Whitecaps. Playing for pride is about all they got now. <laughs> is that what, uh, how do you do that in the dressing room? Okay, boys, one, two, three, pride. Get out there. It doesn't matter. Uh, Mark DeSantos and the Whitecaps do have one more game on Sunday before they come back home, quarantine, and ponder what happened in 2020 and what's next for 2021. Will DeSantos get another season as the coach to turn things around? It's likely he will, given that this was such... Well, how can we say it? A bizarro season. It's a dire situation. Even in an expanded playoff format where 8 of 12 teams qualified for the postseason in the West, the Whitecaps still fell short. Incredibly, Vancouver has not had a draw this year. 8 wins, 14 losses, 0 draws. The conference average is 5. The galling part for the Whitecaps is they ended up conceding goals late in games that turned draws into losses, costing them precious points in the standings. There's this right approach of thinking always about trying to win the game, but we have to have also the maturity to, to understand in some moments that the point is a point, and it's good to take a point. The Whitecaps did have to endure more than most teams, playing all but four games away from BC Place, and a tough schedule that saw them face Toronto and Seattle three times each, and Portland and LAFC twice each. All of those teams are title contenders, and the Caps won just two of those ten matches. Despite a very rough start, the Caps felt though they righted the ship somewhat in the second half of the season. I think in the last Two months, uh, apart from the LAFC game and maybe that, that Seattle game, we had a lot, a lot of moments of uh, closer to what I think we have to be about in a more consistent way. The Whitecaps obviously need to infuse more talent into their lineup going into next year, but one thing that was consistent was the work rate and effort, and that's something they're proud of in this most trying season. And just fighting back, you know, we there's many times we could have just put our head down and and just say, you know, the schedule is tough, you know, we're away from home, we can't play games at BC Place, we don't have our fans, we don't have our families, but just the overall character of the group to, you know, stay resilient. Um, stay together and um, just work work to the end. Well, just like last week against San Francisco, when Seattle faces Buffalo this week, 
They won't have their top two running backs. Carlos Hyde still dealing with a hamstring problem. And number one running back, Chris Carson, thought he might be able to play through a foot injury, but he wasn't able to practice today. I couldn't make it today. Uh, that, today was going to be the day we, we tried to decide where, where he was, and they didn't feel like it was, it was right to bring him out there today. So, uh, so we got to leave him home, take care of him, get, get him ready for next week. So that means just like last week, you might see a lot of DJ Dallas in the Seahawks backfield. But he did score two touchdowns against San Francisco. During the game, I think you could sense his confidence coming to him. Uh, so he comes back this week. Really, he's, he's been you know, full, of, full of juice this week. So it, it does help a guy. You know, really the confidence thing is really the issue. And, and uh, he did enough good stuff to come out of there feeling pretty good. And he's looking forward to his next chance. Next week is uh, golf Masters. This week it's the uh, Paris Masters of Tennis. Quarterfinals, Milos Ronis taking on Hugo Humbert of France. Third set, Ronis was facing double match point, but he comes through. A couple of great volleys at the net. Saves match point. Save the next one as well. Now, Milos for the match. There you go. He's moving on. So the NBA says they will start on December 22nd, which means they only had 71 days off from when the Lakers won the championship until they get back to work. That is the shortest, I think, ever for all four major North American sports leagues. And for one, LeBron James, who's played a lot of games over the years, is not happy about the short break. But there's not much he can do about it. Twelve weeks off. How dare they? <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, Satellite Debris is next. Stay with us. Watch the Global News and 980 CKNW Leadership Series every Saturday and Sunday in partnership with Fortis BC Energy at Work. We work all week for this very moment. These four minutes, Squire. I, uh, I, sorry, I had a poppy uh, wardrobe malfunction, but it's fixed now. So. Are you okay? Did oh, all good. You? Poppy's on now. We were communicating with hand signals earlier, so it's a weird show. It is, but uh, <laughs> my apologies. Okay, here we go. So uh, the first thing we're going to show you is uh, there's no hockey here right now. There would normally be hockey, but there is in Hungary. But the glass is a little thin. I'll show you what I mean. Marco Solik is going to score a nice goal. And he's going to celebrate, like a lot of NHLers do, by basically chucking himself against the glass. But unfortunately for him... It's like breakaway glass in the movies. Well, I'm sorry, you break your by. <laughs> One more look. He is okay. I mean, they had to call the glass guy outside of that. But I've, every once in a while, the right vibration or perhaps just the wrong glass. Right. You go right through it. <laughs> and that's what it looked like, the photo taking. There's a cameraman right there, and that's what it looked like when he broke through. That's crazy. Shot of a career there for yeah, that no, guy. That's Pulitzer Prize stuff. Okay, so Super Bowl commercials over here. We've said this before in the U.K., Christmas commercials are the big thing, and they start in November. Here are two. Super duper coordination. Wow, how'd you put that together? Where'd you get that from? <laughs> I know, right? It's a gift. Did you buy the girl to design your outfit? Yes. She's had such a hard year. She blooming well deserves it, if you ask me. Everyone deserves great gifts this season. How festive. Dogs don't know what's good for them. Like not being able to leave a good stick alone. Ah! Ah! 
Greenies Dental Treats. Something better for your dog to chew on. Not oh, sure if that one was from the UK, but I liked it anyway. Uh, all right, this one I've shown before, I know, but you know what? When The Godfather comes on the TV, I watch that every time too. So here we go one more time. Robin Hood and Little John walking through the forest, laughing back and forth at what the other has to say. Reminiscing this and that and having such a good time. Oodle lolly, oodle lolly, golly, what a day. Never ever thinking there was danger in the water. They were drinking, they just guzzled it down. Never dreaming that a scheming sheriff and his posse was a watching them and gathering around. Robin Hood and Little John running through the forest. Jumping fences, dodging trees and trying to get away. Contemplating nothing but escaping, finally making it. Oodle lolly, oodle lolly, golly, what a day! Oodle lolly, oodle lolly, golly, what a day! And yes, as, as Justin, our director, pointed out, you'll have that tune in your head for the rest of the week. And for an extra 50 points, who sang that tune? Um, yeah. Conway Twitty? What are the, Close. What do the points get me? Well, probably not. <laughs> I do believe Good that's point, Roger though. Miller. <laughs> Roger Miller. Going way, way back. Yeah, there mm. you go. That's a good I love one. the orangutan. That's what you do on the end of a Friday. <laughs> Just fall At back. 30 seconds from now, that's what we're all doing. Yeah. For all of us. But we won't spill our wine when we do it. Of course not. <laughs> and we're not quite as hairy. <laughs> well. well. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Christine and I are laughing the loudest of that. Yeah. Uh, final word okay. on the word, Christine. <laughs> all right. Some cloud cover tomorrow morning, and it will clear fairly quickly. Lots of sunshine. Get out there and enjoy it. We do have rainfall by the end of the day on Monday, so some pretty nice... I <laughs> What? The guys are confused. I know. I don't know what they're thinking. Can we talk after the show? Let's just go smoothly into the weekend okay. now, shall we? All have right. a good have a good weekend, everybody. Smoothly. <laughs>